You are listening to the message by Antioch Centre for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. I want to put the title of our message up under the shadow and, uh, uh, you know, not in the shallows like the song, but it kept on coming to mind, you know. Under the shadows, I'm under the shadows. Yeah, I almost thought about doing some rendition of the song, Christianizing it, but no, that's kind of cheesy, so I won't do that. But under the shadow, you probably already know where I'm heading with this, but I want to start by reading Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after uh, those days declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, it says, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is concerning the ownership that God owns us. Remember, he redeemed the Israelites from the population of the earth, and he said, these are going to be my special ones. That same pattern we see now played out through Jesus Christ in the New Testament. First Peter chapter 2 says concerning us who are in this room right now. But you are a chosen generation. I want you to turn to somebody next to you and say you're a chosen generation. Anybody. Yeah, just a simple exercise. I know it's awkward and uncomfortable, but it helps to drive this in. We are a generation of people together that God has chosen. You know that God chose you. It says a royal priesthood. That means that we have an office as a priest where we stand also in intercession like my friend today who had been inviting his friend continuously. When the time come right, he'd come to church and, and give his heart to the Lord. That is part of our priesthood because we are officiating between God and man. We become a mediator. That's the ministry of an evangelist. Uh, you're a holy nation. Sometimes we don't feel all that holy, but as we know, and have even just sung, he's the one that pleads our cause. Our holiness, our sanctification has come about as a free gift from him. He gives it to us by spirit and we do our best, but we are purified by the blood of Jesus. And so therefore we are his own special people. Formerly, he said in Jeremiah, I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, they shall be my people. So he was looking for a form of protection, ownership, uh, custodianship over souls. And that's what we are. We are a purchased people. He bought us. Very expensive. How many of you know that you were the most expensive thing ever purchased? And that the receipt is called the Lamb's Book of Life, and your name is written in the document proving that the sacrifice or the price was paid for you. We are now His own special people that we may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So we see the separation process. Sanctification just means to put something apart from the group. If you have a bag of jelly beans and maybe you really like the black ones, Or maybe you despise the black ones, because I find that those little black jelly beans are pretty much the divider of man. Some people love them, some people hate them. They taste like, it's more of an American jelly bean, but if you've ever had them, it tastes like licorice or anise. Very strong. Some people make the ugh face. I adore them. So when I get a bag, knowing there are other people in my presence that do not like it, I am happy to sanctify the bag and separate from myself all of the black jelly beans. And I love to do that. Uh, some people do it with M&M's. 
some reason they have this idea that some colors taste different than ever. Have you ever done the test that ta to taste the different colors? You know that for the longest time we were missing the color blue because there were some issues about the dye. But only in the last few years, a lot of you are younger, you don't realize that, but I for basically 15, 20 years of my life suffered without blue M&Ms because it was just not there. So when the blue M&Ms came back, you know, also, I was so happy, look at this, there's blue M&Ms now, and I would separate them. That's what this word means to sanctify, to call apart. The very name of church is called out of darkness into light, but called into this sanctified group. And we all sit here tonight hearing the word of God. We come here for that reason, to hear the word of God, because out there is the darkness, out there is the lack of the knowledge of Christ. In here, when we come together and, and study these passages and learn, light is shining brighter and brighter, and we are sanctified because we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. In the King James, it says a peculiar people. And that word, of course, sounds like strange and I used to like it because we sang it when I was 17 years old. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Now, at 17 years of age, when I heard it, I thought that means we're strange, which I identified with because I was strange. I was not your ordinary kind of a person. I liked it. I don't mind being peculiar. Remember, David's bodyguard was peculiar. He was different than all the other mighty men. He didn't quite fit in, and so David made him his bodyguard. God likes uniqueness, but he's called all of us with a specific purpose. We are a chosen generation. Uh, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. How many of you are glad that you are his own special people? Remember, Malachi 3.16 uh, says that, and those that love the Lord spoke often one to another about him and he heard from heaven and a book of memorial was prepared for them so that means and we're together in this group talking like I'm doing right now he's listening every time we do this God tunes into exactly what's taking place he takes all of it into account and he processes that moment he marks it to your credit if you would and he knows that you are learning growing expanding because that's our process so I thank God for the opportunity to do this now David, in the Old Testament, probably had the best grip on what a spiritual life was. Because we know it wasn't quite like it is in the New Testament. But David was one that was after God's own heart, as it said. And he, by grace, was sanctified by God, separated him. He even broke laws. He did things that were against the, the, the law of Moses. And God didn't care. Because he had a special relationship. He absolutely did the wrong thing with the ark. Of course, there were problems. But he put it in a tent. It was supposed to be in the tabernacle, exactly prepared according to the specifications, right? It was very specific. He didn't do that. He just put up a tent. And he spent time in there, in that tent, uh, with the ark of the covenant. And they call that the tabernacle of David. And it was so impressive to, to Jesus, so impressive to God, that even in an Old Testament paradigm, that was his own person, after his own heart. So he wrote some beautiful songs or psalms, and probably the most famous of all the psalms, with the exclusion of perhaps the 23rd psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I think the psalm that we're looking at tonight would probably be up there. And we're going to look at Psalm 91. And I want us to break down the psalm in parts. 
and we're going to discuss different elements of it, and then we're going to also discover through this the, what it's like to live life under the shadow of God. Uh, this is four things about life under the shadow is the, the title of this. And so we're going to go straight to number one. Number one, we chose to dwell in the shelter, or we choose to dwell in the shelter of God. Now the passage says in verse one, it starts, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now I want us to break down some elements of this because there's so many important things in this first verse. And also when we look at this psalm, we find that we have obligations that re cause responses by God toward us. Basically, this is a relationship and a dialogue. In fact, this psalm was written from two perspectives. Later on in verse 14, when we get there, you're going to see God took over David and began speaking through him first person. So that means that God chose it as a prophetic psalm as well, based upon what David analyzes and says, a man that is in a covenant with God, a woman or us, they, if they do certain things, there are certain results. And that's what we're going to cover because all of these things are important, especially in these ages that we're coming into, especially as we move forward in uh, the present darkness that is with us and all that it's going on. So the first very part of this, it says, whoever dwells, whoever dwells, and this word in the Hebrew means to sit or remain. It means that there, first of all, is an open invitation to us, meaning that God is inviting us to make the choice, but nobody can make you dwell in, in the shelter of God. Nobody, this is your choice, but it is open for everyone. It doesn't say special people who dwell, but whoever, anybody from any walk of life, from any place or nation, if they make this choice to dwell or sit and remain like sitting at the feet of Jesus like Mary did. This means that you will connect. The invitation is there, but the choice is ours. And there's a lot of people who do not necessarily choose to spend that time. So immediately from the beginning, if you're not choosing to dwell, taking time to dwell with them, that could be going to church, that could be praying in your own time, that could be that moment in the morning where you actually read scripture, sanctify those moments. That is what it means to dwell with him, to sit and remain in his realms. And the remaining part is hard because our thoughts always run back to the deceptiveness of this age, the cares of this life, the worries and concerns. So we, though, have to make this choice. I find that I have to choose daily to say, I'm going to dwell here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to seek him. Uh, the next part I see there, it says, in the shelter of the Most High. Now, this word shelter is secret place in one translation. It's a hidden place. It's a covering as in hiding behind a mountain. And the same Hebrew word for shelter is used in 1 Samuel to describe the prophet talking about taking cover behind a mountain. So it is in a place that you are shielded. It is, of course, shelter. That's why they say shelter. But specifically, it's a secret place. Remember, Jesus had a secret place where he prayed, where he would go to a great while before day. It said, it said a certain place. It wasn't completely secret, 
But if it had been known, they would have arrested him there a lot earlier. It wasn't only until the betrayal of someone on the inside that they actually knew where to go to that secret place to, to seize Jesus. And Judas is the one that gave them the information. So we know that Jesus had that. The disciples had that. We all should have a place, a secret place, a hidden place. It says go into your closet. You close the door. You talk to your father who is invisible, but he rewards you in the open. All this is part of this choice that we're making to dwell in the shelter of the Most High. Which, by the way, in this psalm, there's like nine names of God, just in the one psalm. Uh, Most High is uh, Elion, or El Elion, which you hear me talk about often because it's the name the angels use for God. Because, if you think of it this way, an angel is a pretty spectacular creature. Is a created by God. It's a being that's pretty amazing. Seraphim, cherubim, we know different descriptions, but these are awesome creatures. In fact, so powerful, we'll learn later a little bit about that, that one can defeat an entire army. So there has to be ranking there. And Jesus said that there's ranking. If there weren't, the kingdom could not stand. But so therefore, his rank, God's rank amongst the angels is uh, the most high. He's the supreme one. Everyone else is subject to that. And it was only when one angel decided to share that name, I will be like El Elyon, he said. And that word in the Hebrew means equal to. And that's where the beginning of Lucifer was. It started with that rebellion. This angel decided, well, I can be like him. No, this is his shelter. We're hiding under the Most High being the most high existent one that is self-existence, which is so powerful. And so this place is a spiritual place in reference to our relationship with God, yet it manifests, even though it's a spiritual place, it manifests very real, real physical results. The more time we spend in that place, the more changes out of that place. The less time Consequently, we spend in that place, the less changes out of that place. I'm not saying you have to stay in a place of, of monastic meditation for 12 hours a day. And it's okay if you do, but that might just be on certain occasions. But you do need to spend some time. I do find, if you do the calculation of a day is like a thousand years, then maybe every minute you spend in there is like a thousand minutes on the outside. You can calculate one to a thousand ratio, maybe. I don't know. I'm not coming up with a formula for you. I'm just trying to say sometimes prayer potency is more important than its length of time. So we focus. We go in the shelter of the most high. John chapter 3 verse 8. Because remember the comparison to the wind that Jesus mentions here. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asks. Because he's having trouble understanding this. But when it comes to our prayer time, when we go to this secret place, we have to strive to understand. And if I was speaking to someone recently, witnessing to them, this is someone who does not believe in God. And uh, I spend, uh, every week I have a meeting with a certain atheist and we talk a lot. And it's so hard to describe these things. They just don't get it. They cannot grasp how can it possibly be. And that's exactly what we see. I'm not saying Nicodemus was an atheist. But he was not spiritually minded. Which blew the mind of Jesus away. So how can you, you're a teacher in Israel and you don't know this most basic stuff. That we are spirit. That we relate in spirit. 
And so we know that our relationship to dwell in this secret place of the Most High is dependent upon our spiritual discernment. We need to go to this place in spirit, accept and believe it. And so it's like the wind. We might not be able to see it, but boy, it's force on the outside. You can always tell. It has great effect in your family, in your home, and all these. It says now, it continues, I will say of the Lord, he says there. Now, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High abides under the, under the shadow, and they make this statement of saying, I will say... And it's interesting here, it says that, that um, where it says this, that one of, the, one of these words that he speaks, it is a specific declaration. That word say is not just translated say, like speak, but declare, make a declaration. So it's important that I will say of the Lord. Salvation comes that way. We can believe, it says even the demons believe and tremble, but it's required that we believe and speak. And so voice-activated placement Psalmist makes this commitment uh, and says that he's my refuge, which is a stronghold. He's my fortress, which is a, uh, uh, I will say of the Lord. Make the declaration all the time as you shift to that place. The shelter of God is where we will go. The, the shadow of the Almighty. When I think about that fact that he extends over us. This word means, it's like a tree. If you, if you stood under a tree, right? You get under the tree. That's where the shadow rests upon you. In other words, you have to be under God. Uh, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So the overshadowing of God, coming under the mighty hand of God, all these things, imagine and see in your mind's eye when you're praying and when you're seeking Him that you're coming underneath this shelter, this protection, this shade of that tree is covering you. That's a stronghold, a place of refuge, shelter, trust. I say He's my God. Going back to the verse, He says there, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. My refuge, fortress, my God. My refuge, my fortress, and my God. You think, what's the difference between refuge and fortress? Well, one of them is for retreat and one of them is for advance. A refuge is where you go to hide away. You need shelter. Maybe from the storms or issues, you need the protection and the covering. But the fortress is a reference to a military encampment. A place where you are making advances. So we go forward, sometimes we pull back. We go far. Jesus did this in his ministry. He would make great headway into communities, preaching and teaching. Then what would happen? The persecution would arise to such an extent. What did he say? He would, he would flee. He would go away. And he did that on and off. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. You live your life with that understanding that God is in both places for you. While you are advancing, he can be a stronghold for you. Uh, a strong fortress. But when you're pulling away, he's a place where you can find rest, where your enemy cannot touch you, and you can take a rest there and be renewed. Times of refreshing coming from the presence of the Lord. So we go on now to uh, the next one. We enjoy safety under God's wings. It's interesting to note that concerning this word uh, shadow that we were talking about, that uh, Nine, nine out of ten times that the word is mentioned, it's in reference to wings and feathers. And those are always the wings of God. And some people think, well, then God has wings. No, I'm not saying God has wings. It is a metaphor. 
And if you know David, David wrote exclusively in analogies, metaphors of images. And so he's doing the same here about God. He goes on now, because contingent upon your choice, I say of the Lord, surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. Uh, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You'll only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. There's so many wonderful things going on here about things that we commonly fear. So we break down the verse says, surely he will save you. How many of you believe that he has the ability to save you? That's why we call him Savior. So this is not a theory, this is a fact. There's no doubt in the words, surely, that's why it says surely. Not like maybe he will save you, but surely, this is a, it's a given that he will do this for you. If you are choosing him, if you're allied with him, this is a fact. There's no doubt in the words. And it, it is not a maybe, but a reality. From the fowler's snare, it says. Well, what is that? Well, it's a trap. He saves us from the traps and schemes. The Bible says we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. Well, part of the way that he saves us is he makes us aware of them. We'll say that means that he's going to protect me and I'm not going to have to go. I'm not going to fall into that nasty trap. It does not say that. Read it carefully. Why would you need to be delivered or saved from something that did not trap you? This means after the fact. I like what Jesus told his disciples. Satan has sought to sift you like wheat. And he did not then say, but don't worry about it, guys. I got you covered. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to let that. How would I ever let that happen to you? No, he knew things have to happen. The concerns of man would say that that would never happen. And that's why he said, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. When Peter, upon hearing that, he said, I'm going to be handed over and crucified. That'll never happen to you. Because it's a part and process of it all. So this psalm is not saying, I will never fall into any trap. No, it's saying you're going to fall in the traps. Satan has sought to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you so that when it's all finished and you are delivered, you can strengthen your brothers. How would I do that? By telling them, look, I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. This is the state I was in. My life was in such disrepair. And, and such duress had come upon me, but he delivered me out of all these things. That testimony, the power of that, from the fowler's snare. Surely he will save you from that. It says, from the deadly pestilence. So he saves us from the threat of death. And death is swallowed up in the victory of the cross. That's what the psalmist said also, that death, where is your sting? I remember one time we... I uh, had an accident, I had a blowout on a mountain road 
in Mexico, and these roads were windy along the mountains. They would go high and come down, and the tire blew out, and uh, the car lost. I lost control of the vehicle. It was a moment that I was traveling at over 100 kilometers an hour, and I remember very clearly looking out of my wife's side, the passenger window in the vehicle. It's the opposite in that country. The steering wheel is on this side. My wife was there. I was watching the highway coming at me at full speed through her window which means the vehicle was moving completely sideways. When the tire blew out, boom, the rubber flew everywhere, and you hear that flap, 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 the vehicle spun out of control. So for a great while, going down the hill, down the mountain road, the car was going sideways at a very high velocity. Just then it hit and spun, the tail of it spun around, and we hit the cement divider between the two sides of this highway. And then the vehicle, we pulled off to the side, put the brakes on, and uh, stopped. And when I slammed on the brakes, when I released, we went back against the seats, and we started laughing. How many of you think you have the peace of mind in a moment like that, outside of being insane, that in that moment, the first thing you would do is laugh? We literally started laughing. And the first words out of my mouth were, death where is your sting? I just was so aware in that moment that impending death would, could, have, could have been a destructive thing to me. It did not happen. And so we stepped out of the vehicle. That was the moment when my son was just, you know, two years old, a little over two years old, and he walked back in the road as I was checking the vehicle. I thought for sure the vehicle would be demolished. It wasn't. Only the tire was damaged. There's a couple of little scrapes and the plastic taillight, the red taillight, was shattered, which we replaced later for like $10. It was unbelievably inexpensive. But that was broken. And my son now realized now, second after my vehicle now, I realized my son is walking down the highway. So I'm like, oh, my son. So I run after him, and he's standing there looking back in the highway where we come from. And he picked up and he pointed. When he pointed, I looked at what he was pointing at, and I saw the bits of the red broken plastic from the taillight spread out on the highway. So I could see also the black marks on the road, and I can see where we hit the embankment, because it was there. But then my son, these are his actual words, my wife was there to witness it. He said, look, Daddy, see Jesus? And all the hair on my head stood up. Like, oh my God. Like, that's an OMG moment. When a two and a half year old says, look, daddy. See, why would a two and a half year old make up something like that? But gosh, these, these words are real. He will truly deliver us in moments that are so extreme. And I was so blessed that day. My faith grew. I changed the tire. Uh, we went on. I got another tire. I got the, the spare replaced. And we made our trip. No problems. And what a great testimony to carry. Now, it does not say that he would not allow things to happen. The accident took place. But he proved himself great and powerful, thereby building my faith from this. Now the psalm goes on, but I break it down like this. Things that we do not need to fear. Terror of night, arrows that fly, pestilence and plague that destroys. First of all, terror at night, fear itself. What did Churchill say? There's nothing to fear but fear itself. Fear in itself is a disease that will come upon us, but God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. He didn't give us a spirit of adoption, I mean, a fear, again, to be in slavery, but it says he gave a spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, 
Abba, Father. There's two places it says he didn't give you fear. So he delivers us from the terror of the night. The terrible thoughts that occur to us when we're on our beds or in our dreams. That when we were talking about the spiritual realms, remember we talked about sleep paralysis. When you wake up and you can't move and there's that fearful moment when that spirit glides past you and those moments, you don't need to fear. He, lay, he says he gives you the beloved sleep. You lay down and you will not fear, he said, because he's with you. Arrows that fly. This is war. Back then, of course, they did not have artillery like we have today. There were not bullets flying through the air. They had arrows, but arrows were deadly and would kill you. And some of them were flaming arrows. So this is talking about warfare. It's a clear picture of missiles, bombs, all those things. How many of you honestly ever feared terrorism? Because of in a moment you see in places what's happening, what goes on. But you don't need to fear it. You need to trust God. You say, well, what about those poor Syrian believers who ended up dying on the beach? You don't necessarily need to fear, even if it extended to the point of you being martyred. If you have a place of trust, then it will alter the way you perceive all things around you. And you can rest in that place. Pestilence. That's pandemic. The viruses and diseases on the earth. That's the the bird flu and swine viruses and West Nile virus and whatever else. It seems like every month or two there's a new virus that they're talking about and some new injection or inoculation that they're recommending that you get. But we serve a God that is able to best any virus. How many of you know that? It's so clear here. It does not matter what's out there. We don't need to fear. We're not like those people out there that are concerned with these things. We don't have to fear that. Plague that destroys. Uh, whatever causes destruction. Who's destructive? Terrorism is destructive. Governments, regimes, ISIS. There's all of these things. Well, I'm so afraid of that. You don't need to. It says a thousand may fall at your side. Ten thousand at your right hand. But it will not come near you. How many of you believe these words? Now, it's a fact. There, are, there will be thousands that die. There will be tens of thousands. And there's no promise that you're not going to find yourself in the middle of that. It says, one side over here, a thousand people are dying. Over here, ten thousand. Right that close to you. But it will not come to you. When in 1993, I'm sorry, 97, I, I copied this down because I researched today to make sure that my statistics were accurate. And this Acapulco storm that was called Paulina. Hurricane Paulina ravaged Acapulco, Mexico in October of 1997. Which means that this is date uh, in the same month, but back then in 1997. Two weeks of torrential rains, floods, and landslides followed. At least 2,500 people died. In one poor neighborhood on the banks of which had been an almost dry riverbed, 400 people were buried alive before they could escape or be rescued. Uh, despite acts of incredible heroism which occurred during the hurricane and floods and in the following days, the initial rescue efforts were hampered by the lack of infrastructure for emergencies of such scale. The firemen worked alongside volunteers for 15 days taking out uh, catnaps in the trucks. They did everything they could, but this I was there in the middle of this. Uh, we worked extensively. And when I read this scripture, I know exactly what it means. 
Uh, most of you have heard the story. That morning after that hurricane hit, I walked out of my house. I saw vehicles driving very quickly up the roads of our neighborhood. So where are they going? Something's happening up on the mountain. And I had no idea. I just knew that it rained like I had never seen rain before. The rain was so heavy it came in sheets. They were translucent, clear sheets of water falling. Not drops, but there were sheets of water. It's a very rare phenomena. But in fact, that storm when it hit, within one hour, there was the equivalent of a year's rainfall in that one intensive burst. And that morning after that, I woke up. And that's where I went around back just behind our house, just like a block away. And I saw a sight that I had never seen before. And I remember thinking, that's such a strange sight. Why would people sleep under a blue tarp in a parking lot? Because they had covered the bodies with plastic tarp. When you see actual death to that scale, you're not thinking, oh, they're dead. You're thinking, why are they sleeping? Because you don't get to see that thing. You don't want to see that kind of thing. But I saw it hundreds of bodies and the tarp covered over them and they were pulling out more bodies then the next saw thing I saw looked like some um, scene from the movie The Walking Dead or one of those shows the people were covered in mud most of them were naked because the mudslides actually tore all their clothes off their bodies and they were just wandering covered caked in mud we immediately did everything that we could the infrastructure was not there as this article says and it wasn't we were the ones in in uh, somebody had just given me a brand new Toyota Land Cruiser 1995-96 when they gave it so I was using that to ferry um, food out of the parts that had food back and forth to hundreds of people long story short when the time came, they invited me to preach the gospel to them. And hundreds of them prayed to receive Jesus as their Savior. Dozens of churches were planted as a result. Those churches are there to this day. I'll be there two weeks from now. When I go there to this day, people come up to me, hold my hands and cry and say thank you. And I have no idea who they are. So you, my grandmother told me about all that you did. And wow. Now this is interesting concerning this scripture. When that happened, we had church people. We had a couple hundred people that we were connected to in our churches. I immediately wanted to find out. The Bible says, do, do, do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. So I wonder if there's needs, as these finances started coming in to help in this time, I found out who in the church has needs, who lost property. We could not find even one single church member that not only didn't lose anything, but no water came in their houses. We found church members that had houses completely integral with no damage and both right and left to them the houses were destroyed. Miracles for every single church member. That. It's a reality. So to see it lived out like that in that time, it was so faith building for me. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. Now, I'm not the one saying that those people were wicked. I just know what happened, happened, and my eyes saw it. We're only going to see on the news, the streets around us. Uh, don't look at the news. and th I look at the news and laugh very often. It is so negative, I find it humorous. And I'm a wordsmith. I craft phrases. I love the way, the way that they phrase the words because it's very specific. They're crafting them. Someone who's not paying attention to that, you just, it'll melt your mind. And you, oh, and you believe, don't, don't believe it, don't believe it. Number three, I love this psalm. We're protected by God and his angels. I told you we were going to talk about angels a little bit because they're here 
In fact, the passage we're about to read is so important, Satan used it against Jesus. Goes on to say here, Psalm 91, verse 9. If you say, The Lord is my refuge, and you make the most higher dwell. Now, this is contingent upon the first verse we saw. Whoever dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of my. And I will, I will say, The Lord, He is my refuge. They say, Now, if you're doing that, this is what the psalmist is saying. If you say, The Lord is my refuge, and you make the most higher dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And you will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. So it says that he will command his angels concerning you. And think of how strong an angel is in the stories of the Bible. And consider that there are angels uh, tasked with protecting and caring for us. Uh, they'll carry you if they have to. I have a sister, a dear sister of mine that I knew years ago in the same city in Acapulco when we were working there. Her name was Alicia Flores. And Alicia was a very avid evangelist. And so she would take groups of people from the church, four or five at a time, and they would go to every little village they could find nearby, that they, within walking distance or of bus rides, and they would go preach the gospel. On one occasion, Alicia and three other women went to a village. To get to that village, it was only walking, and you walk through a creek or a, a, a shallow river, which was usually dry. And when it would rain, some water would rush through there. So anyway, they walked in that day, went to the other side, got to the house, preached the gospel. People got saved. There were some healings that took place. And then it started to rain. And the owner of the house immediately said, you want to leave now because the water will rise and you'll get trapped here in the village. And so, because, you know, it's very common in poor villages like that. You, the rain will lock you off there. So they said, okay, we'll go. So anyway, they go, and the rain's starting to fall up the mountain. And the first woman sees that the, the water is flowing, moving quickly now, but it's only about, you know, shin deep. So she makes her way through, gets to the other side, and the next woman goes in. By the time the second woman is going in, it's to the knees. And that woman is fighting the current more. And it's swelling so quickly. The third woman gets in and it's waist deep. And they're reaching her while Alicia is holding her arm from the opposite side, letting her down into the water, not wanting to let her go because she's starting to slide. And Alicia is the last one. And they immediately thought, don't try. Because it was swelling that quick. But she went in anyway. And by then it was up to her stomach and then to her chest and she, her feet started sliding and the water was rushing downhill. So if she lost her balance in that, it, she, she would probably die. Because that happens all the time in village areas like that. And as she did, she said she felt she slipped and she, the water came up over her face and the other women were screaming, trying to catch her. And as she did, she said suddenly she felt that one of them managed to grab her wrist and lift her in the water to where the current had her floating in the water but pulled her through it and then lifted up and her, she was at her waist again but now suspended by what she realized in that moment was a man. Like who was this man? Where did he come from? But he was standing in the river and he carried her through the water over to the other side where the other women are waiting. They reached out. They took her hands and they said they saw the men pick her up like her whole body, pick her up, put her on the shore and put his hand on her back and push her up to them. 
When that very moment, and believe me, I, I interrogated these women. I, I like details about things like this. You need to tell me everything. They said that when they received her, of course, they were concerned about Alicia. They received her, they took her, they hugged her. In, but in the time when the man was behind her and pushed her, in that moment that she flopped on the beach, that man vanished. Just vanished. And they knew that the, they would have seen him tumbling down the stream. They would have spotted him moving around. But he vanished in front of their eyes. I am convinced it was an angel. Saved her life in that very moment. Literally fulfilling what it says. That he will command his angels, if they need to carry you, they will actually pick you up. I saw a picture online recently. I don't always place a lot of uh, credibility in some of these things. But this was weird. I'll go find the picture and post it so you can see it. A man was uh, uh, 30 feet high. He had a fall. This is like, you know, uh, what's 30 feet? Like 10 meters. Like a 10 meter fall. And he fell and hit the ground. And that could be lethal. But he was okay. He got up and some people came down to help him. But there was no one there. Later the ambulance came. They checked him out. And... He, the, the AMT, or the emergency medical technician, said, who was with you when you fell? He says, no one. I was by myself. I was doing some work up at the upper level. She lost my balance and fell to the ground, fell flat on his back. And, and they checked his head. He didn't have any injuries or any problems. There was only one injury on his body, and it was bruises on his back. And it was exactly the shape of a hand. But the bruise, the hand was like that long big fingers but it's very clear that it was the hand the thumb and you can see like somebody grabbed him but with such force that it embedded into his skin and bruised his flesh and so what was that I don't know maybe somebody may say well he hit the ground in such a way that the rocks or whatever made the form of a hand no it was not I believe these things are real I believe the scriptures are actual and that we can trust and know that we're taken care of. I remember the power of God when I read, read the letter from the Shiv Sena, which is the political group when we were in India, saying, we're going to kill you and we're going to come find your children. And this was a threat from an from a official political group saying, quit India. That was the title and the subject head. I went and looked up the email again and found it. I wanted to date it. It was, uh, it was in 2002. And uh, it said, quit India. And it, the letter stated that they know where I live. They named my children. They named us and said, we will come and we will, we will drive you. These people were responsible for the deaths of different pastors and even missionaries at that time. And so I was afraid. But I believe these scriptures. So I prayed, God, you said that if I say of the Lord, he's my refuge and my fortress, you will protect me from these things. And when I was praying, the doors of the armoire where my computer was uh, began to swing. Literally, the doors swung on their own. And I jumped up and the whole house shook. It was an earthquake. The very moment I prayed, I ran outside, went downstairs, and of course carrying my babies and their things, and all the people from the building were in the car park waiting to see what would happen. But the very moment I prayed, that happened. To them, no one really would put two and two together. But for me, it was God saying, I can do anything. Don't worry about this. Because my thought was, I need to leave. I need to flee with my family. But that alone, that one thing made me decide I'm going to stay here. And I did for, um, for years more. And we did many works for Christ. Because we trust Him. Let's go to number four. 
because we have, is there something after this? Yeah, you will tread on the lion and the cobra and he will trample the great lion and the serpent. So the supernatural assistance he provides makes us able to accomplish amazing things beyond the limits of modern man. Man is uh, very limited, very, uh, this, what he can do, the, the, the man that threatened me in Acapulco, same thing, he said he would kill me. And God dealt with him, reduced him to nothing over a period of time. They would shoot guns over our tent. Those are the arrows flying by day. They would come. God will do these things. So number four, Psalm 91, 14. This is our last one, then we're going to pray. Because he loves me, says the Lord. Now God's taking over the um, psalm. He hijacks David's psalm and says, okay, that's enough from you. I'm going to say this. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. Uh, and given this so far, how many of you love God? How many of you say you love him? Make sure you say it. Make sure you tell people. Make sure you declare it. I will say of the Lord. He is my, it's very important that you make that declaration. You tell other human beings. My atheist friend, I stare him in the eyes. Every Friday I meet with him. And I say, you don't believe, but I absolutely love Jesus. How can you possibly love someone you have no proof of their existence? And I, I just keep telling. I tell him every Friday. And every time we get in these heated arguments, I'm leaving. And he says, see you next week. And I said, yeah, we'll see you next week. It's a great conversation, but you have to declare it. They need to hear it. The world needs to hear somebody saying, I declare the Lord, he's my refuge. I love him. I love Jesus. I love God Almighty for what he's done for me. And Jesus says it here, God speaking, because he loves me, says the Lord. I will rescue him. I will protect him. For he acknowledges my name. There's the confession principle again. And he will call on me, and I'm going to answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. These seven things, really cool breakdown. God's list of benefits for the one who loves him. You say you love him, declare it, and these are yours. He says to you personally because of it, I will rescue you. I will protect you. I will answer you. That's a big one. We cry out. He's going to answer your prayers. I will be with you. I love that one. I will deliver him and honor him. After you are delivered, you will be honored for it. And people will say, wow, I can talk about the deliverance of the Lord. And it brings me honor when I share and I teach. Not because of what I've done, but because of what my God has done. I declare it and people say, wow, that's amazing. What an amazing story. I share my testimony with lost people all the time. Taxi cab drivers, you name it. They always say, that is an amazing story. You should make a movie. You should write a book. Did you ever think about writing? I've heard that a thousand times. Have you ever written a book about these things? And I, no, I've never actually written a book. But I love declaring them with my mouth. I love talking about the greatness of God. I will deliver him and honor him. I will satisfy him. It says, with long life. How many of you want a long life? Well, basically, all you need to do is love him. You love him, he will give you, satisfy you with a long life, and he says, I will show him my salvation. How can you see salvation? Well, the benefits, rescue, protect, uh, open phone line to God we have. Communicate anytime we want. Remember that all of the benefits of this psalm are dependent upon our verbal agreement, what we say. And I want us to pray this psalm uh, together. 
How many of you'd like to do that with me? Why don't we stand up? I want us to stand up. God is so wonderful. These words are truth. In him is life. The life is the light of men. And the darkness couldn't comprehend it. It was brighter and stronger than darkness. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, I'm going to read. And as we do, I want us to read it together. We're going to do that classic thing. The Bible says that the public reading of the word. Timothy was told by Paul to make sure that you do public readings. For two reasons. The people hear it, but also that you could read it together. It's very common in Indonesian churches, right? All the time. You put the scripture out. Everybody read. do that in Mexico, too. We don't usually do that because I'm too busy running my mouth talking about it. But we're going to go through this and read the whole psalm slowly together uh, so you can just follow my lead. Make sure I have the same copy. Yeah. So it says, okay, one, two, three. As I dwell in the shelter of the Most High, I will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, you are my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely you will save me from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. You will cover me with your feathers and under your wings will I find refuge. Your faithfulness will be my shield and rampart. I will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrows that fly by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at my side, ten thousand at my right hand, but I, I will not come near me. I will only observe with my eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. As I say, the Lord is my refuge and make the Most High my dwelling, no harm will overtake me. No disaster will come near my tent. For you will command your angels concerning me to guard me in all my ways. They will lift me up in their hands so that I will not strike my foot against a stone. I will tread on the lion and the cobra. I will trample the great lion and the serpent because I love you. You say you will rescue me, that you will protect me, for I acknowledge your name. I will call on you and you will answer me. You will be with me in trouble and you will deliver me and honor me with long life. You will satisfy me and show me your salvation. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's sing that song again. You plead my cause. You plead my cause. You right my wrong my chains you overcome you gave your life you gave your life to give me mine you say that I am free how can it 
So 